would you join me for a moment of prayer? Gracious God, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found faithful in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day. This was on Friday afternoon. And she asked me a question that I don't think anybody has ever asked me before. And I want you to think about this question for yourself. She asked me, Daniel, when was the last time that you felt truly and purely happy? And I had to think about that for a moment. I wasn't quite sure what to say. But then I remembered a trip that I went on just about a month ago. I, I was uh, out in Bend, Oregon to visit my best friend, Phil. And I've, I've talked about Phil before. He's, he's a guy that I'll often go hiking with, and, and we have all kinds of crazy travel stories. Uh, but this particular trip uh, was to visit him because he just moved out there. He's a wildland firefighter. And the plan was to go out, see him, and to ski for three days. Now, I've only been skiing once before, and it was also with Phil, and the only reason that I go is because I trust him to teach me how to do it without hurting myself, because he was a ski coach for three seasons. So we were out there for three days, and I remember on day one, I was doing something kind of like this, <laughs> and if you've ever skied before, you know like the uh, pizza wedge, and if you don't get it quite right, your legs will be shaking. That was me. But by day three... Oh, smooth as butter, at least on the greens and the blues. And I remember very vividly on the last day, the last run of the last day, I was going down a beautiful green groomer called Marshmallow, and I just felt so alive. <laughs> I felt so happy. The energy was pulsing through my body, and the whole way down the mountain, I was yelling just out of pure joy. And if you know me, I don't do that. <laughs> I was energetic. I felt alive. And as I was relaying this story to my friend on Friday, I realized that I was playing. And I also realized something else, that I don't do that enough. Do you play enough? When was the last time you really let your hair down and screamed all the way down the mountain, metaphorically speaking, and allowed yourself to get lost in pure play like we just saw the kiddos do with the bubbles? I don't know about you. I'll just speak for myself. I feel like prioritizing play and rest in my life can be difficult because doing those things invites me to feel something like shame. I'm invited to feel shame because when I play and when I rest, I'm not doing something that's productive. In her research on shame, Brene Brown, who is the author of this book that we're going through uh, during Lent, says that for many of us, our self-worth is intrinsically tied to our productivity. That is to say that the ways that we show through our work and our other efforts 
that we are worthwhile because we can do something worthwhile. And so the connection here is you have to do something worthwhile first in order to experience that feeling of wholeheartedness and worthiness. And simply put, when our self-worth and our self-image is tied up in our productivity, in our achievements, taking time to play and to rest, to be purposely unproductive, might not only feel impossible, but it might feel selfish. It might feel lazy. Maybe you've had someone in your life who has made you feel this way because you were taking time to rest and play and be a little unproductive. And yet, play and rest are two of the first things that we learn to do as human beings. Play is how children in their earliest ages learn and a key part of how their brain forms. In fact, I was with my family last night, and that includes my two-and-a-half-year-old niece, and we were watching the KU game, and um, I was watching uh, my niece Carpenter play with a cardboard box, and all she was doing was taking off the lid and putting it back on, taking off the lid and putting it back on, and I was watching her do this because watching the game was too painful. And I noticed that at one point she tried to put the lid back on, but she didn't put it on quite straight, and so it was crooked, and she kept trying to fuss with it and get it on right, and I almost wanted to lean down and just do it for her. But there was something within me that said, no, 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 don't do that, because it's through this act of play and figuring it out on her own that, that she'll learn how it works. And of course, in just a few seconds and a few more tries, she got it on perfect without my help. Play is one of the ways that we make sense of and process our experiences, not only when we're kids, but well into adulthood. But it's not just play that's important to a wholehearted life, but rest is also essential, not only to our physical health, but also our mental health. And when we do not take time to rest, our bodies will shut down. In fact, I was visiting a friend at the hospital a couple weeks ago, and this is not a person who's connected to Aldersgate, but someone I've known for a long time. And she was in the hospital because one day she woke up and her legs didn't work. And I was visiting her and talking about what was going on in her life, and, and she was telling me about how from every angle of her life, stress was weighing down on her all kinds of crazy things going on. And, and, and she is one of those people, perhaps you know someone like this, who when the stress comes down, she does really, really good at making sure that everyone else is okay, but doesn't take the time to pause and take care of herself. And as a result, she wasn't resting, and so her body intervened and woke up one day and just she couldn't walk. Now, she's doing fine now. She's been back home, doing a whole lot better. But what was interesting about this is that the conclusion of the doctors was that there was nothing physically wrong with her. Her legs were fine. But her body was having what doctors call a psychosomatic response to the lack of rest. In other words, the chronic lack of rest caused her body to say, if you are not going to rest, then I am going to do something to get your attention so that you are forced to rest. 
Now, we know and I think we understand that our brains and our bodies are wired to play and to rest. And yet, setting aside time for these things often becomes the last of our priorities. We live in a culture and a society that's designed to treat us like machines, like cogs in a wheel that can just go and go and go. We are driven to work, driven to perform, driven to achieve. And if we're not exhausted, we feel like we aren't working hard enough. If we're not close to burning out, we feel like we didn't try. We brag about refusing to play and rest, at least I know some people who do, and they wear their exhaustion as a badge of honor. We take pride in not using our vacation days because people who use their vacation days are selfish and lazy. And sadly, sometimes we pass these attitudes along to our children. And if we don't do it, others will do it for us. I was talking to Pastor Maria yesterday about this sermon, and she was telling me about how she sees how much pressure teens in our youth group put on themselves to have straight A's, to get on this or that team, to work as many hours as possible while still being a full-time student, to pad that resume with work and achievement, because that's how you get ahead. Now, it is great and worthwhile to have goals and to achieve them. But it is an entirely different thing to sacrifice our well-being and our relationships on the altar of productivity and achievement. And here's the danger, I think, is that if we find ourselves in a place where we are sacrificing our relationships on the altar of productivity and achievement, we're really chasing something we can never truly attain. This is the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes that says everything is meaningless. Now, we did a small group on the book of Ecclesiastes back in November, and we talked a lot about how the book of Ecclesiastes has something to say about the work that we do with our lives. And it begins at the very beginning of the book. And if you haven't read the first few verses of Ecclesiastes, I want you to be prepared because it starts off with a verse that will knock you off your feet if you're not ready for it. This is chapter 1, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, just in case you missed it, the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes is everything is meaningless. Five times in that verse, he says it. Now, it's really important at this point that we qualify what the teacher means by meaningless because this is another place, like so often in Scripture, where the translation into our English language loses the original meaning of the Hebrew. Because the word that is used five times in this one verse alone and over 35 times throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes does not translate to meaninglessness. The word is hevel. Can you say that with me? Hevel with a V. Hevel. You got it. You're learning Hebrew. And that ancient word hevel more accurately translates to something like smoke or vapor. 
So Ecclesiastes is saying right at the beginning, everything is like smoke. Everything is like vapor. Life is mysterious. Life is paradoxical. And more often than we like to admit, things are out of our control. In regards to our work and our productivity, Ecclesiastes says that all of the, our toil under the sun, all of our work is hevel, smoke, because at the end of the day, when we're all gone from this earth, the work of our hands is going to disappear. And so often we attach, we cling to the things that we do in this world to be productive, because these are the things that say, find your meaning in what you can do and in what you can offer the world. And there's a lot of value in offering goodness to the world. We're going to talk about meaningful work um, in a few weeks. But the wisdom of Ecclesiastes reminds us that everything is impermanent. Everything is always changing, even the work of our hands. And the moment that we try to control too much, the moment we try to grasp and attach to our work is the moment it slips through our fingers, just like smoke, just like vapor, just like the bubbles. When you try to grab one is the moment it disappears. Ecclesiastes is saying, this is how it is with our work. So much of our anguish, so much of our suffering is caused because we long to grasp the bubbles. We get attached to things that simply do not last. They are not eternal. And the truth is, the work and the labor of our lives, as meaningful as it can be, is one of those things that is not eternal. Because there will be a day when we are not here. And the works of our lives and the works of our hands will be left to other people to pick up. And we are not in control of what happens at that point. It's Hevel. Now, at this point, you may be thinking that this all just sounds terribly pessimistic. <laughs> and it's true that if you're looking for a bright pick-me-up, Ecclesiastes is not the book I would recommend you go to. But we're spending so much time on it today because there's an important lesson for us because it reminds us that if we put our hope and our worth in our productivity, if we sacrifice our life on the altar of our work, we are chasing the wind. Hevel. But what should we do? Well, the author of Ecclesiastes gives us that answer, at least from his perspective. And it comes uh, in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 that we read this morning, where he says, There is nothing better for mortals to do than to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in their work. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Now, essentially what I think the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is that because life is hevel, smoke and vapor, always changing, don't forget to enjoy the good stuff. Because the good stuff is a gift from God. And yes, this includes our work. 
but don't cling to it too tightly for your identity and your worth because the moment you do, it'll slip through your fingers. But enjoy your work under the sun. Enjoy the simple pleasures of relationship and food. Enjoy them in moderation because this is what it means to live a wholehearted and balanced life. Now again, I need to qualify. What we're not talking about is throwing out all responsibility, throwing out all morality, and just living a life of seeking as much pleasure as possible. That's called hedonism, and that's not what Ecclesiastes is talking about. In fact, you'll see in chapter 1 he says that also is hevel. What it means is remembering that we are human. Remembering that we're limited. Remembering that we are fallible. And because of all those things, we need to remember to play. We need to remember to rest. We need to remember that we are not cogs in a machine. We are created things that need to slow down and enjoy the good gifts of God. That's how we ground ourselves in this wisdom that everything we work for and strive for will ultimately fade away. It doesn't mean we don't strive in this life. It doesn't mean we seek to do good or that we don't seek to do good. But it means that we need to remember the only truly eternal things in this realm are life and love. And we cannot have true life and true love without play and rest. Last week, um, I went to the funeral of a good friend of mine. His name was Thane Chastain. Um, I didn't talk about this at the last two services, but I was having a conversation with Clem. um, And um, some of you might have known Thane. He had his hands in a lot of different worlds in the Wichita area. Um, He was a mentor to me in high school. And Thane did a lot of work in his life. He didn't have a family of his own. He was never married. But he worked for the Kansas Leadership Center. He worked for the Tallgrass Film Festival for Calvary UMC. The work of his hands are all over the city of Wichita. And I was, as I was talking to Clem before this service, we were talking about this. And I, it came to me that for all the work that Thane did in his life, his legacy will not be through the work of his hands because eventually all the wonderful things he did are going to fade away. The technology that he helped the Tallgrass Festival with, that's all just in time. It's all going to change. Someone else is going to come in and continue that work. But the things that will not change, the things that are eternal, is the way that Thane lived and the way that Thane loved. Because this is what it means to have eternal life, to participate in that which is eternal, and that is life and that is love. And we cannot have those things if all of our time is spent working and striving and hustling for worthiness and acceptance. That's one of the things that Thane taught me with his life. The good news is that Jesus models for us this different and better way. Our other scripture was from John chapter 2 where uh, Jesus turns water into wine and the reason... (laughs) Maria chose that passage is, is, is because I think Jesus is simply playing here. I don't think he's necessarily trying to prove to everybody his, his powers or his, his ability to do miracles. This isn't the most important miracle he does. He doesn't heal anybody. 
He doesn't uh, exercise any demons. He just makes some wine. But I think Jesus knows what it means to be human, and I think Jesus knows that playfulness and rest are essential to a life of love in the kingdom of God. And so he makes some wine for his friends. So what does rest look like for you? What does play look like for you in this week to come? I invite you to explore those questions. Maybe rest for you means doing less. Maybe play is making time to daydream or dusting off a puzzle, blowing some bubbles, or picking up a hobby that you haven't touched since you were a child. Maybe it means leaving something on your to-do list undone, tearing off a page in your planner, and trusting that the world will continue to spin. However play and rest look for you, whatever they look like for you this week, may we all have the audacity to slow down, to play, and to rest, and to believe that it is not selfish to do so, but in fact a profound spiritual practice. Because when we choose to play and rest, we are choosing to let go of exhaustion as a lifestyle and productivity as our sense of self-worth. We let go of those things, and we choose to cultivate a wholehearted life that God has made us for. One that includes play, and one that includes rest. May it be so for all of us. Amen.